Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. It is good to be back. Uh, missed being here last week, but I appreciate your prayers. Uh, it was a full week, but a great week of ministry. A week ago, I was at a men's conference in St. Louis. There's about 1,200 guys there. It was really exciting to see what God was doing through the ministry of it. And then all this week, I've been in Dallas, at Dallas Seminary, and speaking every day at the seminary. And uh, again, I appreciate how much you prayed just with all of it and in preparation. I thought it's God's sense of humor in the middle of a series on margin. I found myself up working on a sermon with it, and I go, okay, God, I'll have to trust you with that, but uh, it's good to be back. And I'm excited about this season in our church. I'm excited about next week. Next week, we have a celebration Sunday. We'll have our worship. We'll have a message, but we've really, we're going to celebrate some key things, and especially baptism. We've got a number of people who've stepped forward, some who are new in their walk with Christ, some who've walked with Him for years, but God's really convicted them that they want to declare it publicly and get baptized. And as I say that, I I want to challenge some of you. Some of you have never been baptized as a follower of Christ. You know, here here at Venture, we believe that baptism is a call of every follower of Christ. Now, we don't say that because it's a way of salvation. You don't get saved by being baptized. We don't believe that. Uh, That's not this extra thing that you have to do. You're saved by faith. It's not an act of salvation, but it is an act of obedience. That Jesus said when he made disciples, every disciple declares that being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I'd encourage you, if you've never been baptized, you need to as a follower of Jesus. You need to in your decision. You know, some people say, well, I was baptized as a baby. And I always say, that's awesome. But that was your parents' decision. I don't think you had any vote in the matter. I don't think it was an act of discipleship for you like Jesus calls us to. And it's interesting when I talk to some people, invariably, especially in a large church like that, people are like, I don't know, what will people think in that? And we start getting nervous around that. And one of the things I love about Jesus, everything he calls us to do, he did. And so he calls us to be baptized, and he was baptized. And and it's interesting, you know, the baptism he did, it was John the Baptist that did it. John's baptism was a way of expressing confession and repentance. It's interesting, you know, if you're Jesus, he he might have sat there and thought, wait, if I get baptized, is everybody going to think I'm confessing and I'm a sinner? What will they think about me? But he did it in obedience. He did it as an example. He trusted his father with it. And when he was baptized, you remember God called down from heaven and he goes, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There's no sin in him. He doesn't need to confess about anything. God took care of him. But he was obedient and he gave us a model. I'd encourage you, some of you, you've been wrestling with it for a while. You get kind of nervous about what people think or anything else. You need to put that aside. You need to get baptized. Now, we have a class that's going on this morning during this hour. And some of you go, well, I missed the class. Hey, we've got a CLEP course. Right after this service, if right now you're sitting there going, I need to get baptized next week. I want you to meet me right over there by the baptism. We're going to do about a 10, 15 minute time. We'll walk you through what it means, give you the opportunity. We had about 10 people signed up last night, right after service, because God had really put it on their heart and they were listening to that and they responded. And so we'll meet right over there, give you the opportunity. They'll keep your kids if you have kids in there and give you the opportunity that next Sunday you can celebrate with us and be a part of it. I'd encourage you, follow up on it. 
Uh, it doesn't really get any easier, and it really is an important step in the life of every believer. Now, we're in this series on margin, and, and it's been an interesting series, the response of it, of all of us really feeling the need for it and the need in our life and how we're trying to figure out life. Uh, yeah, I heard a story of a pet store delivery driver who's driving down in his truck, and he comes to the stop site, stoplight, and as soon as he gets to the light, he jumps out of the truck with a two-by-four and slams it on the side of the truck, jumps back in, takes off when it goes green. Comes in the next stop site, stoplight, jumps out, slams the two-by-four, and as he does so, this lady that's been watching it finally says, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, well, you see, I got 2,000 pounds of parakeets in the back of the truck, and the truck can only haul 1,000 pounds. So I got to keep 1,000 pounds of them in the air at all times. <laughs> he kind of figured out a life hack, you know? Now, we kind of laugh at that, but we're not much different. But instead of slamming the two by four against the truck, we're slamming it against our head. That, that we add on another appointment, bam. Stay up late at night trying to answer emails, bam. Stop at the stoplight, and what do we do? Well, I can answer a text, I can do a call, I can do that. The cars are honking behind us because we need to go, it's green. I'm usually one of those people honking, by the way, I'll, I'll confess that. <laughs> bam, and, and instead of parakeets in the truck, it's, you know, they're flying around our head. Because we're trying to do a way of life that frankly is not working. You know, we, we looked at a passage shortly. We're going to spend some time in today. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 11. Matthew 11. There, there's a short passage there where Jesus extends an offer, and he really hits the heart of this issue because this issue is a spiritual issue. As much as we think it's a scheduling issue, it's a calendar issue, it's a time issue, commitment issue, at the heart of it is a spiritual issue, a soul issue. And if we don't deal with it at that level, we won't get there. Matthew 11, if, if you have your Bibles, you don't have one, you can use the one in the room right in front of you, page 970. And I'd encourage you, if you've got your own Bible, go ahead and turn there. I'll have it. We're going to go through it pretty slow because it's so fundamental what Jesus is offering. Now, if you look at the passage, he calls out, look who he's offering to at first. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. All who are trying to live life this way. The word labor there is actually, you're wearied. You're under it. It's, it's more than you can carry. You have a thousand pound capacity and you're trying to drive around with 2,000 pounds. All the time. It's literally wearing you out. And, and there's a part of this that I think is fundamental and I think it's really important for us that we've just got to admit and recognize the all that he's talking about here. And here's the, the first point. You got to recognize that life is not working your way. You can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing this. It's not working this way. And it, it's amazing the power of denial where we can kind of tell ourselves, oh, it's not so bad. Or the delusion. Oh, it's just this season. Just get through this time. Just while the kids are little. Just during this season at work, just this project, just this, just this, just, and, and in this delusion, we think somehow magically margin is right around the corner. But then you get around the corner and it's just as loaded up. It, if we don't come to a place that you recognize this is not working. You remember Dr. Phil, he, he's probably still on TV. 
Dr. Phil, and he'd get people, and it was always interesting. He'd have them describe their life, and their life was a train wreck. It was all messed up and this. But then they start justifying it and how they were doing it and what they were going to do. And he always had one question he would ask them. Remember what Dr. Phil would ask? He'd always look at him and go, now how's that working for you? It was just this, this indicator to go, everything you just described, that's how you got there. And if you don't make some recognition, if you don't come to a place of admission to go, this is not working, you're just going to keep doing it the same way. The same way. So Jesus looks at us and he goes, hey, if, if you want to get real about life, and if life's not working, if you are the people that would finally admit, okay, yeah, I am the weary and I'm the heavy laden. Look, look what he tells us to do. He tells us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and look what he'll do. I will give you rest. You come, I give. And as you look at this, man, that's a pretty great deal. Look how I come, labored, heavy laden, weary. Look what he gives, rest. And, and so, so the call to us is, you've got to make a decision. This isn't working. And so I have to come to him. And as I come to him, you can see it in the next point here. I come to Jesus and I experience the great exchange. Your burden for his rest. Here's what I bring. I bring a burden. Here's what he gives, rest. Here's what I, I bring, this broken way of doing it. And he, he goes, okay, let me show you a better way. This great exchange. And what he's describing here, guys, it's just the gospel. This is what you see all the way through the Bible. The good news, the gospel, what it means to get saved. A lot of times we just reduce getting saved. I got to pray a prayer so that I can go to heaven one day, kind of ticket to heaven. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. It's so much bigger than that. It's good news for all of life. And if you look throughout the Bible, it's always this exchange. Where I come to him, I come with my weariness. He gives me his rest. I come to him with my sin. He gives me his forgiveness. I come with my brokenness. He gives me his wholeness. I come with all my junk in life. And he says, let me give you my righteousness. What I did that was good. This is unbelievable exchange in it. And so when somebody talks to you about, hey, have you embraced the good news? Have you been saved? It's not just a belief system that we're adding. It's this exchange of life that I take all this junk and death and weariness and I go, Jesus, man, I need you. And he says, let me give you goodness. Let me give you life. Let me give you rest. He never limits what he gives. We're the ones who, I think, limit what salvation really is. We're the ones who want to reduce it down to just kind of what I believe. And then hopefully one day when I die, I get to go to heaven. He goes, no, 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 I came to change all of life now. I came to give you life abundantly now. But you have to make that decision. Notice what he says, come to me. You got to come. He'll always give, but you have to come. That's why I say at the fundamental part of this is it's a spiritual decision. It's a heart issue. It's a soul issue that he's talking about here. Now, as you look at that exchange, though, you go, well, who wouldn't do that? I mean, if I'm always bringing the bad and he brings the good, why wouldn't anyone come to him and experience that? It's because of the next line, I think. Look at it. He says, come to me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, the yoke here. This, in this agricultural society, they'd readily understand what that meant. But 
it's a piece of wood that when you have a team of oxen, you have a team of horses, that piece of wood that links the two together, as you, you partner them together, shaped to their body. And, and as Jesus is describing it, a lot of rabbis would use this term as well, come be yoked with me, because they understood often they would put the older oxen, the mature oxen, with a young one. And they'd yoke them together that the young one would learn. The young one would be partnered with the older oxen. Now, now here's what you need to recognize and why I think a lot of times people hesitate to do this great exchange. Because the yoke ultimately is a tool of control. It's a tool of control. And and so if we're going to really experience this, you have to give him control. You have to take on his yoke. And if we're honest, a lot of us have control issues. It's part of the reason we struggle with margin so much. We're trying to do too much. We're trying to control too much. We're trying to stay on top of life too much. And Jesus looks and he says, we got to change that equation. And, and we often picture it, you know, think of like if your life was a car and you're driving along and you find yourself and I'm out of gas. I have nothing left. There's no fuel in the tank. And, and we do this all the time. And so then we go, Jesus, here's what I want from you. I want you to be kind of a gas station rest stop. So I'm driving. Here's my life. I'm out of gas. I don't have anything. And I pull into Jesus. Okay, I'm going to get a little time with Jesus. Fill me up. A little rest stop. You know, get a few snacks. And then, okay, this has been great, Jesus. And then I go live my life again. And I'm going to just go till I'm out of gas again. And then I pull back in with Jesus. It's often how we think of church even. It's kind of like I got to live all week and I'm doing life. I'm doing life. Oh, I'm exhausted. I hope church is good this week. I hope they sing good songs that really help me. And, and I hope this message is good because I need to get filled back up. And there is a part that hopefully you are spiritually refreshed in it. But if all of life is just the gas station approach, you realize we're going to just stay exhausted. Jesus says something much more radical. He looks at us and he says, how about you give me the keys? How about I have the car? How about I drive in all of life? Suddenly we feel that, whoa, take his yoke on him. I mean, this partnership of a yoke, there's kind of three things when you think of the yoke, linking them together. First one is partnership. It's a partnership together. And it's amazing God would even enter in that kind of relationship with us. That God says, yeah, be yoked with me. Together we'll do life. And if you read through scripture, that's what I mean. You can walk, walk according to the spirit or walk according to the flesh. And in that, and in a partnership, picture it if you had someone who came to you and they said, hey, I want to be in a partnership together. I want to go in business together. I got this idea. I want to go in business. And you go, great, that's awesome. As you think about all the requirements of that. And they, they tell you, don't worry about money. I've got all the financing. I personally have the money. I, I'll provide all the money. And you go, that's great because I actually have a little debt. Can you cover the debt? And they go, yeah, we'll cover the debt. And they go, I have a great reputation. I am so respected in the community. You go, great, because my reputation is trash. They, they look at you and they go, I have all the experience. I know what to do. I have the expertise. And you go, yeah, I'm clueless. I don't know what to do. They go, I, I actually have office space. I have a building. I have plenty of space. And you go, yeah, I'm still living in my mother's basement. You get the picture here of this partnership? Now, all those things. And then you go to sign the partnership. And then you look at it and you go, wait a second. 
This says that you're going to be the controlling partner. And you want me to be the silent partner. I'm not doing this. You're going to be in control. And you look at it, you go, it's ludicrous that someone who brings nothing to it demands so much in it. But that's often how we approach Jesus. Where he gives, he gives life, he gives forgiveness, he gives salvation, he gives rest. And yet we look at it and go, mm, I don't know, Jesus. I don't know. You're going to be the controlling partner here? This is my life after all. So there's a partnership. Second thing that yoke. There's also purpose, purpose, direction. Where are you going to go? They put the, the older ox with the young ox because the older ox knew how to plow in straight lines, had been trained to know the, the signals and the cue. The younger ox wanders all over the place. As a part of what Jesus says, he says, come be linked with me and, and I'll give you purpose. I'll give you direction. You, you're not going to go all over the place. The third part of that, and this may be the hardest part of it, is also pace. Pace. To, to know the, the right pace. To know that you got to go a whole day. Not just sprint out there. And, and if you look at it, when, when Jesus says, come be yoked with him, and, and maybe this is our biggest struggle, it's according to his pace, not ours. In fact, if you read through the Bible... You know, so often people in the Bible, you know where they get in the most trouble? You know where they, they mess up the most? Is when they want something faster than God wants to give it. And so they try to do it on their own means. And, and, and in that, Jesus said, come be yoked with me. And together, in a partnership, now I'm the controlling partner. Together, in purpose, I'm going to give you direction. Together, we're going to do this according to my time frame, not yours. Guys, I, I'll tell you, I think this issue, this point, is the biggest point of breakdown on why we live marginless lives. Of ultimately being willing to come to him and go, okay, you're in control, not me. Okay, it's yours. I, I want to be yoked to you. And, and, and we want to turn it into a belief system. I want to give Jesus part of my life. I want to have this compartment kind of over here instead of really letting him have life. We struggle with doing that, but again, I'll come back to you. How's that working for you? I mean, as, as scary as it is to actually give him control, do you want to keep living like this? You want to keep doing life like this? Jesus says, come be yoked with me. And then notice he says, learn from me. You need to learn directly from me. And, and I would say in that, you can see in your point here, Learn from him both what he said and what he did. Part of being his disciple is we obey all that he commanded, all that he said, but also how he lived his life. You ever watch how Jesus does things? And if you look here, I'm, just, I'm giving you just several points of things that we need to learn, things that we apply in our life, things that we follow out of that. How do we learn from him? You know, years ago, John Ortberg, who pastors at Menlo Church, great pastor in town, great church in our area. And so thankful for it. And John was mentored by Dallas Willard. And he called Dallas and he said, I, I am struggling. I'm feeling the weight of things. Help me. How, how, how would you give me, prescribe for me how to grow? And so Dallas was quiet for a minute. And then, then he responded. He said, all right, 
ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And John goes, okay, got that one. What's next? <laughs> Dallas goes, no, no, that's it. And I would say, first point, I just stole it straight from him. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And here was Dallas' point. Jesus was never in a hurry. You want your life to look like Jesus? There's never a point you read through the Gospels where Jesus goes, oh, I'm late. Oh, how'd I get so far behind? Now, his disciples thought he was. Often they'll go, Lord, you need to go. Lord, you need to be. And he goes, no, God's time. God will reveal this in his time. God will do this in his time. Jesus' life was constant. He had people all the time and ministry and, and the parts of it. But he's not in a hurry. And what about you and me? How much of your life is marked by hurry? How often do you find yourself? I'm late. I'm busy. I'm in a hurry. I got to go. I can't even concentrate on what I'm doing. Here's what I'd encourage you over the course of this week. You know, as you're driving through your life, let hurry be one of the warning lights on your dashboard. Here's what I mean. If you find yourself in a place, you go, oh, I got to hurry. Okay, the warning light goes off. Just stop in that moment and ask God. I'm yoked with him. I'm learning from him. Okay, God, why, why am I in a hurry here? Is it because I never leave myself enough time? Is it because I've wasted time on things? Is it because I overscheduled in this moment? Is it because I'm just so used to having a hurried spirit? I think I'm in a hurry no matter. Ask him in that moment. Go, okay, I want to learn in this moment to be more like you, Jesus. And, and sometimes if you don't diagnose why you're there, you never learn from it. And so just this week, every time you feel a sense of hurry, just stop, ask God and go, okay, what's going on here? How do I eliminate this? How do I stop living like this? Now, a, a key point with that then is you also have to have silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Alone and quiet with God every day. Time that you're quiet with him. I, for me, I think first thing in the morning is the best. Some people take a, a lunch time. Sometime where literally you shut everything down. You're absolutely alone. Nobody else is with you. It's absolutely silent and quiet. That verse when God says, be still and know that I'm God. It's that reorientation of just going, okay, you're God. I'm not. And I'm going to be quiet before you. I, I'd encourage you, have this in another room. I'm serious on that. We're, we're like Pavlov's dogs. As soon as it dings, we can't help. And it interrupted in that. And you go, no, I'm going to have that, that quiet in it. It's interesting. Mark chapter 1, Jesus' ministry starts exploding. Disciples are all excited. I mean, he's doing miracles. People are coming. In fact, literally, he's healing people almost all night. People are coming to the door of the house. He's healing. He's doing all this ministry. And it says the next morning, they can't find Jesus. He had slipped away to go be alone. Go be quiet. Go be with his father. I mean, the disciples are like, whoa, whoa, we got ministry here. We got momentum here. We got things to do here, Jesus. Jesus goes, no, this is, this is really important. Guys, if it's important for Jesus, how much more so for us? Of just stopping. And, and I would encourage you, just when you start to do this, to truly just be silent before God, we're not silent or alone much in our culture anymore. And so it'll be a little disorienting. It'll feel like you've gone a long time 
And then you kind of look down and you go, oh, it wasn't that long after all. But in that piece, it's, it's, remember what we talked about? The rest of the world's trying to conform me. I need to be transformed. And so I, that silence and that solitude for I go, God, you're God. Be God in my life. Redirect me towards you. As you do that, one of the key things you're going to need is Bible intake. His word. And so you, you read it or you think about it. That's what meditation is. You, you think more deeply about his word. Memorize it. Now, study is a good thing. But I, I would encourage you, we're such a study culture. We, we could turn a Bible study time into an information that I'm trying to master. Instead of communication that's transforming me. And so I, I really would encourage you, you need some time where I'm not trying to master it. I'm not trying, I'm just reading it because I believe it's actually a living book. It's alive. That's how God describes it. So it's alive. And so it wants to speak to me today. It's one of the chief forms of communication. And then I, as I think about it more, I think about, okay, what is this saying? What does this mean in my life? And, and then memorize, you come across verses as I'm struggling with things in the day. So, okay, oh, oh man, that verse speaks to it. So memorize it. And when God says, be anxious for nothing, I'm prepared in that moment. Man, I'm feeling anxiety. Okay, this is what the verse said. And the verse says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Man, I'm afraid today. Okay, I claim that verse again. That truth in it. It's interesting. I was studying Jesus' temptations this week. You know, Satan came to him three times. He tempts him. And every time he answers him, Jesus answers with a memorized verse. He answers from his scripture, which is our Old Testament, but he answers them every time from a verse. It shows that pattern in his life. But, but I started thinking about it. You know, when you're Jesus, you're God, everything you say is inspired. And, and that's why we have everything red letter that's his, because it's inspired. He says scripture. So he didn't need scripture to say it. He could have said something new to Satan right there, and it would have been just as powerful. I think one of the reasons he quotes scripture is he's modeling for us. He does something we could do in temptation. He says, hey, here's the power of God's word and the power to be able to use that. And we need that power in our life. It's interesting. This book has not changed in over 1900 years. But it's more alive today than ever. This, this little conformity machine... The information on it is literally changing by the second. And it usually dies a second later. What am I letting shape my life? Now with that, you're going to want prayer. Prayer. And in prayer, you talk to and you listen to him. Obviously, that should be a part of it. If you're going to be yoked to somebody, you probably want to talk to him. You probably want to communicate. It needs to be a constant part of life. And Jesus would go and he would pray. We go and pray. And, and in that, really kind of two forms of prayer. There's set prayer. There's set prayer. There's times of prayer. There's prayer that I go through. And in my set prayer time, probably the tool that helps me the most is what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, his prayer, the Lord's prayer. And I use that as my template over and over again because I realize when I go through the Lord's prayer and I use that as my launching point, I've covered about everything. I mean, he was trying to teach me how to pray and it really helps me in set prayer. But then you also need continuous prayer. And, and all that means is I have times that I've set aside for prayer and then I have continuous prayer where as I'm going through the day and I face something, I go, okay, God, help me here. God, show me here. God, why am I feeling this? That, that's a great prayer. When you have all these emotions and the, especially that sense of hurry, asking God to show, God, why am I feeling this? God, why does that person intimidate me? God, why am I so angry? God, why do I do this? 
and ask him to show you through prayer. And he'll show through his word. He'll show through other people. He'll show it speaking in your heart, in your mind, and your life with that. Worship, worship together and privately expressing how awesome he is. Where we just come together and, and in this context, we worship him. Both here together and then also privately. And then again, remember, we're trying to get our minds transformed. And the great thing about worship is, in worship, it reorients me that I realize, wait a second, he's God, I'm not. So when I come here and we start singing together and we express it together, and then you start looking at the truth that you're proclaiming, okay, that's who God is, that's his character. Oh, that's what God's done. That's what God's promised. And, and instead of making life about me, because I have a real propensity to worship me, worship breaks me out of that and go, it's not about you. It's about him. And so I express it to him. And that's why we're called in scripture. That's why we come collectively to do that. That's why we do it in our individual lives in that. That's why we have a night like tonight. It's just a night of worship because it reorients me that I go, oh, it's not about me. It's not about anyone out there. He's the only one worthy of this. He's God. I'm not. Oh, that's so free. And he's the only one worth our worship. And then you add to that Sabbath, Sabbath, one day a week for refreshment, recreation, and reorientation, that worship of him. One day a week that was set aside. Now, Sabbath, remembering the Sabbath, is one of the Ten, Ten Commandments. It's not restated in the New Testament in the same command with that. So we don't want to apply the same law or, or rigor that people lived under. But if you look at the reason for the Sabbath, there's two different reasons given. One in Exodus. God says, remember the Sabbath. Have that one day out of the seven. And the reason he said is because the creation cycle. When God created the world, six days he creates and then one day of rest in that. Now, why did God set it up that way? Did God rest on the last day because he was exhausted? Like, oh, creation wore me out. I've got to crash. No, he's omnipotent. He never gets tired. He did it for our sake, guys. And, and if you look at the cycle of it, it, it's interesting. Different times in human history, people have tried to mess with that cycle. After the French Revolution, they tried to change it off seven days. The Soviet Union at one point tried to create a 10-day cycle. And as much as they would enforce it and call people to it and try to structure everything about it, the human body is set up on a seven-day cycle. And in that seven-day cycle, that one day that we stop and we need refreshment, we need reorientation, we need recreation in that, be recreated in it. You know, when he mentions it again in Deuteronomy, he doesn't appeal to the seven-day cycle or the creation cycle. He says, the reason that you remember Sabbath is that you used to be slaves in Egypt and you're not a slave anymore. So don't live like one. It's that day of declaration that I have freedom and I'm not a slave to my work and I'm not a slave to money and I'm not a slave to anything else. So I carve out this day. Now here's the hard part about Sabbath. A Sabbath is not just a day off. Sometimes we're more tired after a day off. You ever had that? We have a day off and you got to work around the house, you got the bills, you got the kids, you got all the things you got to do. You get to the end of a day off and you go, I need to go back to work. I'm exhausted. Sabbath's not a day off, it's a day set aside, and they're different. 
It's one day a week where you set aside and, and you don't do the normal activity. You don't do the normal work. I, you know, if you can make it, Sunday's a great day because it's a day of reorientation. It's worship around it. It's a day of rest. Part of Sabbath might be taking a nap. I mean, one of the most spiritual things you could do is take a nap. I'd rather you not do it during the sermon, <laughs> personally, but... And, and, and one of the things we don't want to do, we, we don't want to get real where we start applying the rules like they did in the Old Testament. Jesus actually had to say to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's not supposed to be this oppressive thing over you. And Paul says in Colossians, don't judge how other people use their Sabbath time. We're wired differently in that. There's some core things of worship and rest and recreation, but there may be things that you do that's very life-giving to you. But you're meant to set that aside every week. And to do that. Now, as you do that as well, he calls us to fast. Fast. Have a time where you abstain from food, or maybe it's meaty or something else, but food is one of the core things where you don't eat for a day, or Jesus went 40 days. And as you tie that physical hunger, remember it's disruptive. So I'm hungry now. And as I think about that physical hunger, I go, okay, I'm gonna go to God. Do I hunger for you? Or maybe I'm longing for something, or I'm praying about something. And, and as we hear fasting in that, um, now, let me be clear. We're not talking about intermittent fasting. It's kind of real popular where you don't, you know, eat set hours every day. I'm actually very faithful to an intermittent fast, personally. Um, I never eat from midnight to 6 a.m. I, I don't. <laughs> and if you follow that model, you can have a body like this, you know. <laughs> yeah, just saying. Just saying. It's interesting. When you talk about fasting, especially in a spiritual context, a lot of people are like, Whoa. Super spiritual there. Whoa, it's a little legalistic. You adding on to it. Or, or we just kind of put it in a category, which is fascinating to me. Because when you talk about dieting or health in any other way, people will do the craziest things now. They don't think twice about it. I mean, you talk to people all the time. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm on this diet. For the next 30 days, I can only drink bone broth and eat quinoa. That's it. But it's so good. It's so good. And everybody's like, oh. Or somebody else is like, no, I'm on the bacon diet. I only eat bacon. And you watch it and you're like, did the doctor come up with that? Or time periods. You hear that? You know, I don't eat anything after the year 1229. It's the dark age diet. I use leeches for detox. And I just made that up. Some of you are Googling, where do I get leeches? Isn't it funny though? I mean, crazy things like that. And everybody's like, oh yeah, fascinating. But then you bring up spiritual fasting and everybody's like, oh, weird. You know, Jesus, when he taught on it, it's interesting to me. He, he doesn't command us to fast. He just assumes we will. In Matthew 6, he says, when you fast, when you do this, don't do it in a way that anybody else sees it. Don't go out and you put on a sad face. I'm fasting. It's a secret with you and God. But you make it that part of your life that you reorient your, your, even your appetites to him, to what's important. A couple more. Giving, giving. And I, I'm not going to spend long on this because I think Daniel did such a good job on just thinking and talking about financial margin. But as I give, it breaks the power of money as your master. Every time you give, it's, it's that declaration and, and Jesus said it. He says, you can't serve God and money. You just can't. Your heart's not made that way. 
And so, and so our giving is this, this declaration that every time I give, I'm, I'm declaring, money's not my master. That's why Paul tells us, you can actually give cheerfully. The word's hilariously. And I don't know if you've ever, like when the offering comes, you're just, ha, 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 I love this. No, our hearts don't necessarily. We like, oh, I love what I'm giving. And that's the point. It's that break to go, no, I don't. I don't love that. I'm not serving that. I'm not living this marginalist life because I'm going to give my life pursuing money. I'm not doing that. You're not my master. God is. And when I give, it makes that break. That's why it's so good for the soul in that. The same thing happens when I serve. When I serve, I break the power of self-centeredness. I break the power of self-centeredness that, that I've made life about me. Guys, we're all budding little narcissists. We just are. And our culture tells us that everything needs to be about us. And life needs to be oriented toward us. And when I serve someone else, when I give of myself in that, it breaks that. It frees me in that. And, and as we serve, and, and this is why it's so important that if we don't have this in our life, we can make our life, even our spiritual life, about everything we're taking in. What I'm studying, what I'm learning, what I'm focus on. And everything's about me. And I sign up for another thing that'll pour into me and pour into me. You know, in Israel, there's two seas. There's the Sea of Galilee and there's the Dead Sea. And they're connected by the Jordan River, by the way. Sea of Galilee is so alive. They still fish it. You go there. It's beautiful. Dead Sea is just like it describes. It's dead. You know what the difference is? Sea of Galilee has streams that come into it, but then it has water that goes out. The Dead Sea only has water that comes in. Nothing goes out. And once it goes in there, it just dies. And for some of us, our spiritual growth has reached this dead point, not because I'm not taking in. I'm doing more studies. I'm studying more things. I'm looking at this. I'm researching. I'm doing, 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 doing. I have no outlets. I am not giving my life away anywhere. It's interesting. You ask people around the campus, and, and it's always true. The people who feel most connected, love our church the most, are the ones serving. Uh, story after story, they go, you know, I didn't have any community. I started serving. Man, I got connected. Man, I loved. And it's that principle of where am I serving? Whether it's here or out there, where are you serving? And I'd encourage you. That's one of the reasons we encourage why we do two services and more in that. You can come one, serve one. And even as I say that, you go, oh, come to two services. Tim, I can't do that. Why? Well, I'm busy, busy, busy. Oops. Maybe I need to reorient. Now, as you look over that list, I know some of you are going, Tim, I came in here and I already had too much going on in my life. And it feels like you added more. I would say, yes, you have too much. You have too much of the wrong things. You're like the kid who went to the cafeteria line without his parents. And you loaded up on all the desserts. And so instead of all the life-sucking things, these are life-giving things that Jesus is teaching. Now, be prepared as you go into this, prepare for resistance as you begin any spiritual discipline. Prepare for resistance. I mean, when you start applying this, it's not like, oh man, it's so easy and you're meaty on top of it. There's some resistance. It's like anything that you do. That's why Paul describes it to Timothy as a discipline. He says, train yourself in godliness. And he describes it like bodily training, like working out. 
He says bodily training is of some value. Godliness has value in all of life. That word train is gymnasia. Go to the gym, the spiritual gym. And, and I would encourage you, as you start this, as you disrupt your life, as you're learning from Jesus in that, there'll be some resistance. It's kind of like going to the gym. If you haven't been to the gym for a long time, and then you go to the gym and you work out, the next day when you wake up, you go, oh, I can't wait to go back to the gym. Or you go, oh, man, I'm tired. I'm sore. That's why, what's today, January 26th? All those gym memberships from the first week of January till now, how many of them have died? Because it was some resistance. But here's what people will tell you. If you keep going, keep making it a part of your life, it actually brings new energy, new life. Expect some resistance. I'd say as well, though, but don't turn it into a new form of legalism. Don't turn it into a new burden. Jesus gives us a great check here in this. When he says, come to me, you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so here's what I would say is your final point on this is when you go, regularly check your soul. Don't turn his yoke into your burden. That's what the Pharisees did. But see, they were trying to do all these things to earn from God. Jesus says, you don't have to earn from God, but learn from him. You're not doing this to get right. You're doing this because he's already made this exchange. And he wants to teach you how to walk in that. Guys, I, I would really challenge you because out of all the messages, all the different things that we will teach you, at the core of it is this passage. At the core of that is this decision. It really is a soul decision. Am I going to come to him and live life with him or I'm going to keep doing it my way? And I want to give you a moment here to just be honest with him, be open with him. I'm going to walk through and pray through the passage and ask you to just respond to him as you do so. So if you just take a moment, just bow your heads where you are. As we bow together, Jesus invites all who are weary and heavy laden, all who are overloaded. If that's you, just tell him. Just, just make the honest admission to him today. Say, Jesus, that's me and my way's not working. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. I want to I do an exchange with you. Your burden, his rest. And by faith right now, I, I would ask you to just tell him, Jesus, I want to do that exchange. I want to give you my burden and I need your rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. And this is that moment we gulp a little bit, but I, I'm going to ask you, if you really want to experience this, tell him that you're giving him control now. He gets to be the controlling partner. He gets the keys to your life. He says, learn from me. 
Maybe some of the things we talked about today, if you're honest, you go, you know, I don't do those. I haven't practiced those. Ask him now to teach you. Ask him to guide you as you're yoked together, that you go, Jesus, I want to start doing that and experiencing that and learning directly from you. Finally, he says, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So ask him to protect you from turning this into a new form of burden. Ask him to protect you from trying to earn something with him, but you truly could learn from him. Lord, I pray for each of us as we come to this place and we love what you offer, but we also find ourselves wanting to take it only in doses. Lord, I pray for a complete exchange today. We experience your rest at a soul level, at a life level. Lord, I pray for those who've never exchanged their lives with you. And maybe today they're bringing their sin and their junk and all of it, and they want to experience forgiveness. Lord, I pray for those who want to exchange a life of weariness, of marginless with you. I pray that we would learn from you, but you would guard us that we wouldn't create these good things and create a new burden out of them. Lord, I thank you that you do life with us. And so we desire to be yoked with you right now. We give you our lives. Pray this in Christ's name. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.